So, what kind of mood were you in when you got to church this morning? What, what was your mood when you got here? Maybe you were in a good mood. Man, you had a, you had a mean cup of coffee, had a, had, a, had a good biscuit, maybe a couple of, couple of hot glazed. Man, you, you came in feeling fine. Everything, everything's good. Or maybe you came in in a, in a bad mood today. Man, you, you just didn't come in a good mood at all. Your, your coffee was weak. Your biscuit was hard. Your donuts were cold. And, and you came in a, a lot less sneezy, a lot less bashful, a lot less sleepy, and a lot more grumpy. Man, you, you just did not come in in a good mood today. Maybe you got here today and, and you're just kind of in, a, in an apathetic mood, you know? I mean, you're, you're here because this is what you do on Sunday. And, and you know, it's, it's better than being at home and, and listening to some guy on TV with a bad hairpiece screaming at you to send him $37 for three mini tents that commemorate the wilderness wanderings of the children of Israel and have been sprinkled with gold dust from the plains of Beersheba that will heal your pets and heal your household cold. You're here just to save $37. It's, it's fine, no big deal. You're, you're good. You're good. Or maybe when you got to church today, you are absolutely at your wit's end. You can't think straight. You can't talk straight. You can't sing straight. You can't pray straight. You are at your wit's end. You are undone, or maybe you're just done. You've already lost heart. You're losing heart, or you don't even know where your heart is. Some of you came this morning like that. All of us have been there at least once or twice in life. Some of us feel like we never get out of there. And we don't like being there, and we don't like staying there, and we definitely don't like being there at church. John Piper said this, nobody came in here saying, I sure hope we sing some songs and hear a sermon that helps me lose heart. I really want to be discouraged this morning. Nobody wants the heart for living knocked out of you. Nobody here wants to be left in the valley of depletion and emptiness and discouragement. If there is a secret to being made strong, hopeful, joyful, and loving again and again and again, day by day, we're interested. So is there such a secret? And are you interested? Well, I'm interested. So for the next six weeks, we are going to be looking at pursuing this secret. We're going to be looking at, at what we know as Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, looking at what he writes to them about what it means to follow Jesus. And our new series is simply called Do Not Lose Heart. Do not lose heart. Let's begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. Paul writes, we are afflicted in every way. Paul is writing here about what it means to live your life for the gospel. Now, for Paul, that strategically means that living his life for the gospel was as a missionary, as a church planner, as an evangelist, as a tent maker, as a lot of different things. But what Paul is writing about here is not just for missionary pastors. What Paul is writing about here is for any person who's alive, 
Why? Because every person who is alive and any person who has ever lived has been afflicted, right? You've been afflicted maybe on the the playground in preschool. You got hit or pushed down because that's what two-year-olds do. Somebody stole your whoopee at nap time when you were in preschool. You, You were afflicted. Your ice cream fell off the cone and and onto the sidewalk. Your face suddenly broke out with acne when you got in the eighth grade. You got dumped in high school. You got ignored in high school. You lost a job. Your divorce won't let up. Your depression won't let go. Your disease won't turn loose. We've all been afflicted. We have all faced affliction. Everyone who has ever lived, every human faces affliction. But it's not just every human. Christians, believers, they strategically face affliction. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you will automatically have affliction for following Jesus Christ. Your affliction may be that you're the only kid in your kindergarten class that can't play video games rated M for mature. You may be the only kid in your high school that doesn't have Snapchat. You might be the only guy at work that's never invited to be on the the company softball team because you would actually act like a Christian on the softball field too. You might be the lady in the garden club that none of the other ladies call because it's much more of a gossip club than a garden club and you don't participate. You might have to sit by yourself in the breakfast joint because the other retired men don't like how you don't worship talk radio and how you don't laugh at their dirty jokes. If you're going to follow Jesus, you, you might be afflicted. You will be afflicted. Or if you're going to follow Jesus, you might be killed for your faith. Two weeks ago in the Republic of Congo, there was an attack on a Christian village. The attack lasted from 7 o'clock till 11 o'clock. Six people, six Christians were killed. Three of them were women. One of them was a nine-year-old child. A report out this month said that it is estimated that, that worldwide 11 Christians die every day because of their faith. That's that's an astounding estimate. American missionaries that we support are going into those places where people are losing their life. They are going into those places and they are being persecuted, they are being imprisoned. Some of them from time to time we will hear the same story that they have lost their lives for the gospel. Yes, all humans face affliction. All Christians face affliction. But some Christians face affliction that we cannot even imagine. And they face that affliction because they are compelled to believe that Jesus Christ is the greatest treasure in the universe. And they are compelled to believe that the world needs to see and know and hear him. Maybe you will follow into the footsteps of some of those same people. On October 28th, 1949, Jim Elliott wrote this in his daily journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. 
In other words, if you, if you give your life away, that's not foolish because you can't keep your life to begin with. And if you give your life away, you're not really giving it away because as you give it away for the cause of Christ, it only reminds you that you will gain your life in Christ. Seven years after he wrote that in his daily journal, he was in a jungle trying to witness to a tribe of people and instead of listening to his witness, they speared him to death. But make no mistake, Jim Elliot was no fool. See, he knew he was going to die. He was either going to die when he was 29 or 99 or somewhere in between. He, he knew that he was going to lose his life one way or the other. And, and so he thought, well, listen, since Jesus has saved me, I'll just lose my life now for the gospel. Because if I lose it now, I won't actually lose it because I can't lose it because I've already gained eternal life in Jesus Christ. Even though he faced the affliction of missionary life, even though he faced the affliction, the ultimate affliction of being murdered for his faith, he knew there was no way for him to lose his life. Why? Because long before he ever made it to the jungle, he lost his life. Long before he ever made it to the jungle, he was safe in Jesus. And for the last 62 years and, and earth years, he has been safe with Jesus. And forever and ever and ever and ever, he will be safe with Jesus. That's why Paul's not just writing to missionary pastors. He's writing to me and he's writing to you because you might be lost and you need the salvation of Jesus. You need the rescue of Jesus. Or maybe you're saved and, and you need to step deeper into your salvation so that you can discover this secret that Jim Elliot knew, this secret that Paul knew, this secret that, that brings hope and joy and love over and over again day after day after day. Paul's going to communicate that secret, and how is he going to communicate it? Well, he's going to communicate it through affliction. He's going to talk about this, this secret through affliction. Paul was always at the top of the Roman Empire's most wanted list. He was hated, he was hunted, he was, he was a wanted man. Why? Why was he wanted so much? Well, it's because Paul made Jesus first and most. And Paul proclaimed Jesus first and most. So he was hated for preaching about Jesus. He was hated for preaching the gospel. He was hated for planting churches. He was hated by the churches that he planted. Because the people would get mad when Paul actually expected them to act like Christians. They would get upset when Paul said, hey, if you're going to profess to follow Christ, you need to act like Christ. If you're going to say you're a Christian, then you need to act like a Christian and think like a Christian and talk like a Christian. You need to go to church like a Christian. You need to dwell in unity like a Christian. You need to face affliction like a Christian. That's a crazy idea, right? <laughs> Paul saying that our profession of faith should be more than just a sinner's prayer from 30, 40, 50 years ago. I heard Pastor Ben Stewart say this, God is glorious. God is worth praising, not just with a tweet 
not just with a gram, but with your life. With your life. Paul praised God with his entire life. And how did he do that? And and what does Paul mean when he says that he was afflicted in every way? Well, a little bit later in this letter, he gives us a a bit of a a bio in chapter 11. Just just listen to, to a bit of Paul's bio. 2 Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles. Dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Listen, friend, if you're a Christian, let me just challenge us a little bit. We really have to work harder at completely losing our mind in the fast food place when we order our burger without pickles. And that ruthless, mean, savage, awful teenage kid in the back making three cents over minimum wage an hour has the ignorant audacity to make a mistake. And put a couple of crinkle-cut bread and butters on our bun. You know what we should be? We should be thankful that all we got is pickles we didn't order. Instead of being shipwrecked, clinging to a barrel of pickles, floating out in the ocean, hoping that we'll see the light of day. We need to be thankful that all we got was pickles we didn't order instead of the reality that we can't eat because the medicine we're taking prevents us from eating. Paul's afflictions were deep. They were real. His bio is really beyond comprehension. It's been said by someone that that we will probably never meet anyone who suffered more than Paul. His pain was real. His torture was real. His stress was real. His persecution was real. His loneliness was real. His affliction, it, it was so real. Listen, Paul had about a gazillion reasons to lose heart. Man, if there was anybody that had a lot of reasons to lose heart, it was Paul. But he didn't. How? We had a secret. And what's the secret? Well, listen as he builds it up to us. Verse 8 again. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. He was a hunted, hated, wanted man. And I've never been hunted, hated, and wanted. I don't know. Maybe some of you have a story we don't know yet. But, but he was hunted and hated and, and wanted. 
And I'm thinking that has to be stressful. You know, kind of almost looking over your shoulder, you know, all day long. Paul says, though, you know what? I'm afflicted, but my affliction is not crushing me. I'm stressed, but my stress is not crushing me. Some of you have seen the the quotes we've been posting on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't, I encourage you to go go like and go look for our church on Instagram or on Facebook and, and see those quotes every day. Part of the reason those quotes are, are being put out there is, is just because I, I just keep hearing in, in the preaching that I'm listening to every morning and the things that I'm reading. There's just there's so many things. And I was like, man, I, I want to share some of the stuff that I'm reading, share some of the stuff that I'm, that I'm hearing. Because y'all don't want me to share all of it in the sermon. Or you'll never get to lunch on Sundays, right? But a secondary reason that I've been sharing those quotes is because they're helping me. Because there's not a day that I don't just feel overwhelmed with stress over the needs around me. You might feel that way too. I had nightmares all night last night about all the needs I'm not meeting. Stressing me out. So I'm having a fight and one of the ways that I fight is I fight with God's Word, and I, I fight with these amazing quotes about God's Word and about God's truth. And those quotes and the truth of the Bible, what they're doing is they're helping me to see that I can hope, and I can have joy, and I can keep fighting. They're reminding me that I might be pressed, and I might be stressed, but I cannot be crushed. I can't. Why? How? It's it's the secret. (laughs) And what's the secret? Well, we're getting there. But Paul's going to build it up a little more. Look what he says next. I am perplexed, but not despairing. It is never wrong to say to God, I am perplexed. (laughs) It's okay. It's never wrong to say to God, I am confused. I have no idea, God, why this is happening. I'm fairly confident that God the Father never turns to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and says, "Uh uh-oh, here comes Dow with that same question again. No, God's forbearance, his long-suffering, his love towards me and towards you is It's just without words. It's amazing. Being perplexed and confused is real, but it does not mean we have to be in despair. I was reading something by Pastor Ron Ritchie the other day on on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was in prison because he was speaking out against Hitler and his regime. He was placed in one of those German prisons And from his imprisonment, he wrote this, I believe that God can and will bring good out of evil. For that purpose, he needs men who make the best use of everything. He goes on. I believe God will give us all the strength we need to resist in all times of distress, but never gives it in advance, lest we should rely on ourselves and not on him alone. 
We might be perplexed at how anything good could ever come from something that is evil, but we don't have to be in despair over it. We might be perplexed. We might be confused. We might say why, but it does not have to bring despair into our hearts and our minds and our souls. See, from the depth of the afflictions of a Nazi prison, Bonhoeffer learned that he may not understand it, but he didn't have to be in despair. He actually could rely on God. He could rely on God. He could trust in God. He could desperately and emphatically hope in God. And that hope would keep him from despair. How? How? That's that's the secret. But, But we're not there yet. Paul builds it up a little more. Listen to verse 9. I am persecuted, but not forsaken. Richie goes on to describe how a fellow prisoner wrote down the last hours of Bonhoeffer's life. This is what that prisoner wrote. On Sunday, April 8th, 1945, Bonhoeffer held a little service for his fellow Christians. He had hardly finished his last prayer when the door opened. Two evil-looking men in civilian clothes came in and said, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, get ready to come with us. Those words, come with us, for all prisoners had come to mean only one thing, the scaffold. We bid him goodbye. He drew me aside and said, this is the end, but for me, it's the beginning of life. The next day, he was hanged. At Flossenburg. Jim Elliott, Bonhoeffer, Paul, they talk like crazy people, right? <laughs> yeah, this, this is the end, but, but actually it's the beginning. See, he was, he was brutally persecuted by Nazi soldiers, but he was not forsaken. How? What does that mean? It's a secret. And Paul's going to build it even more. That's when he says the next part of verse 9. I am struck down but not destroyed. How many times was, was Paul whipped that we know of at least? 195 times, all right? And I, I wouldn't make it through .195 times, all right? 195 times that we know of because that's what he recorded, that, that he was whipped, that he was lashed. How many times was he beaten with rods? We don't know. How many times was he stoned with rocks? We don't know. How many times was he punched in the face? We don't know. But we do know this. Paul was struck down, and he was struck down a lot. And he was struck down over and over and over again. But he was not destroyed. He survived the 195 lashes. He survived the rods. He survived the stoning. He survived the punches. For how long? He survived them for every single appointed second that he was supposed to survive them. The psalmist put it this way, Psalm 139, verse 16. O Lord, in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. 
Paul was not destroyed. He survived everything for as long as God wanted him to survive. He could not be destroyed. Henry Martin was born and raised in England. He went on to become a missionary in in India. He died at the age of 31. This is what he said. Let men do their worst. Let me be torn to pieces. Or let me labor for 50 years amidst scorn and never seen one soul converted. Still, it shall not be worse for my soul in eternity, nor worse for it in time. Though the heathen rage and the English people imagine a vain thing, the Lord Jesus, who controls all events, is my friend, my master, my God, my all. If Christ has work for me to do, I cannot die. Guys like this is who we want our kids to have as heroes. These athletes in the middle of March Madness, they will only be fantastic for a little while. And we can cheer them and we can enjoy them and we can have a great time. Unless, you know, you pick North Carolina all the way and you're done, you know. It's fun. Enjoy it. But don't worship these teenage boys. And don't worship their middle-aged coaches. Worship men who say, you know what, I can't die as long as Jesus has something for me to do. That's a man's man right there. Someone who says, my my life has immense purpose and it cannot disappear as long as Jesus has something for me to do. Can I just make all of us so uncomfortable and so encouraged at the same time. We're all sitting in this room because Jesus still has something for us to do. Take heart. Be of good cheer. Jesus has something for you to do. It might just be saved. Maybe Jesus just has for you to be saved. Or maybe you're saved and Jesus has something more for you to do. And it may not be to to be a missionary pastor in India. It may just be a missionary pastor to to your company softball team or missionary pastor to your garden club or missionary pastor to your homeroom class. But you're still here and I'm still here because Jesus has something for us to do. Paul was struck down, but he couldn't be destroyed. Henry Martin said, man, you might strike me down. You might tear me to pieces, but I can't be destroyed. How? All right, we're we're there. Paul's there. Here's the secret. Verse 10. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. That's secret. Carrying around the death and the life of Jesus. What does that mean? Well, in a sense, it means that Jesus was persecuted, that Jesus faced affliction, that Jesus was crucified for my sin and and for your sin. So we should be cautious 
about thinking that the world is going to come pat us on the back and go, oh, man, we are so glad you're a Christian. Such a great thing. In other words, Jesus was afflicted, and Stephen was afflicted, and Peter was afflicted, and and Paul was afflicted, and Andrew was afflicted, and, and John was afflicted, and Polycarp was afflicted, and Felicitas was afflicted, and Perpetua was afflicted, and Catherine of Alexandria was afflicted. And William Tyndall was afflicted. John Wycliffe was afflicted. And Jim Elliot was afflicted. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was afflicted. And on and on and on. We can go in and out of history, back and forth, in any decade, in any year, in any week, in any day. And we will find that there are believers who have been afflicted for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two weeks ago, three women, a nine-year-old child, afflicted for the gospel. Paul says, though, it's not just the affliction. It's it's not just the death that we're carrying around. It's the life. And that's really the ultimate part of the secret. It's, It's the life of Jesus. We are carrying around the life of Jesus inside of us. So the secret to being strong, the secret to being hopeful, the secret to being joyful over and over again, day after day after day, it's all found in carrying around the life of Jesus inside of us. And Paul used an interesting word. He said, always, always carrying around the life of Jesus, always carrying around Jesus in our heart and our mind and soul. And by default, as we carry Jesus around, guess what? He carries us. See, we can't be separated from him. We're always safe with him. We can't be outside of his love. We can't be outside of his power. We cannot be disconnected from him in any way, any shape, any form. How is this true? Paul put it this way to the folks at Philippi. Philippians 3 verse 10. That I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That's an interesting relationship, right? Paul says, man, I want to be so close of a friend to Jesus that I feel the power of his resurrection, I feel the fellowship of his sufferings, and my life gets conformed to his death. Why in the world would he want a relationship, a friendship with Jesus like that? Listen to verse 11, he goes on. In order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Easter is not a spring holiday for buying new clothes and eating a lot of chocolate. Easter Sunday and every Sunday and every Monday and every Tuesday and every third Thursday are days and moments to remind the believer and to announce to the world that Jesus is not in a tomb. That he is risen just as he said. That's a secret. Not one to keep, but one that when it is unleashed in your mind and your heart at 8.15 in traffic, it does something. 
The fact that our religion is based on our king who is not dead, who is not in a tomb, who fulfilled all the prophecies, who boldly said, I will come back to life, and boldly did, and who is right now in the only place that he is worthy of sitting at the right hand of God. He is risen. He is risen indeed, and that matters. And it doesn't just matter for missionaries and missionary pastors. Benita Reisner is a wife and mom and author. She lives in Raleigh, North Carolina. Her bio sounds a little bit, at least in the the same categories of some of the things that, that Paul shared. Just listen to a little bit of what she shared. I buried my precious son when he was two months old because the doctors made a mistake. Six years later, I was diagnosed with post-polio syndrome, a debilitating condition that will eventually require that I have full-time care, unable to do the simplest things for myself. And then six years after my horrifying diagnosis, my husband left our family, moved away, and later filed for divorce. This is what she says. Those years are still a blur to me. Just as I was coming to terms with one calamity, the next one came raging through. I wondered how I could handle yet another blow. One day she was talking with some of her friends and she was just so stressed out. She was so discouraged. She was so overwhelmed with despair that she just found herself just, you know, spitting up all her stuff, just, just telling all of her feelings. And when she got through sharing, there was just this long silence. None of her friends said anything. And then finally, one of her friends spoke up and said this. When I think of you and pray for you, I keep seeing this image. It's of the disciples and Jesus' mother, Mary, weeping at the foot of the cross They are huddled together, trying to comfort each other, trying to make sense of all that has happened, but it just doesn't make sense. The sky is black, all hope looks lost. Their dreams have died. It seems that nothing good will ever come from this. To them, this day, Good Friday, is the darkest day they've ever known. And then she said this. But the one thing they do not know is Easter is coming. That's a friend. We need to be that kind of friend. Vanitha goes on to say this. I have no idea what's coming next. Perhaps my night of weeping is over and dawn is about to break, bringing with it a flood of untold joy. Or, perhaps my tears are not finished. Perhaps the night will remain for a while longer. But this I do know. Easter is coming. Easter is coming.